What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points, a Kana Supers podcast, proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network. As usual, you can find my written work over at kanasupers.com and follow me on Twitter at jakepainting, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. Today, we're going to do a dive into a fun little subject as we wait for the NBA's inevitable return. First, before we get into all that, let me introduce today's special guest. He's a Wolf Among Wolves contributor. All-around good guy, Logan Alton. What's going on, man? Oh, you know, just hanging out. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, it's obviously pretty crazy over there, especially in Minneapolis at the moment, so I hope you're handling that okay. Um, yeah, so far I've managed to stay away from most of it, but it's crazy over here. It's sad to see. Yeah, my, my thoughts are definitely with, with all the people over in Minneapolis, and it's obviously very... Horrible stuff going over there on over there at the moment. So hopefully justice and peace gets restored ASAP. It's it's good to kind of get away from that today, I guess, and and talk about a little bit of basketball, even though it's definitely not same kind of seriousness as as all the stuff going on. But it will be good to talk about talk about a little bit of Timberwolves basketball today. We're going to dig into the dig into and rank the Timberwolves young players. Criteria-wise, um, we decided on going for 23 and under, which means D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, Jordan McLaughlin, they've just missed the cut. But apart from that, things like age, this season's performance, contract, future value, all of that will be taken into account. Overall, there's eight players currently on the Timberwolves roster who are 23 and under. Logan and I have you know, collaborated and, and come up with a list. Um, so let's j- jump straight into it. Number eight, we've just number eight. We've decided is uh, Jacob Evans. What are your thoughts on on Evans? Um, well, he honestly has kind of been disappointing. Um, he had a bunch of opportunity this year in Golden State with literally every guard being out, and never really capitalized on it and made his like his name for himself. Um, yeah, I think that if we wanted to get out of his deal. It probably we probably have to pay for it rather than like just a straight salary dump like most of these other guys. All right. <laughs> when I was doing my research, I got a kick out of this, but um, there was a FSN YouTube video claiming that Evans would be a great sleeper pick for us when we used the pick for a Kobe. Yeah, I I like I liked Evans before the draft in that year. He was one of the guys that that I dug into for Minnesota and actually really liked him. He was pretty. He was a good shooter. Pretty good score all around, but he just hasn't been able to bring any of that to the NBA. He's pretty much a disaster in you know counting stats and advanced stats. Got it here. So he shot 33.7% from the field for his career, 31.5% from three. He's got a minus 7.4 box plus minus, which is like crazy bad. And a minus 2.86 player impact plus minus, which for reference, like that was for this year. So for reference, that's... That's worse than players like Kevin Knox, Timberwolves legend Trevion Graham, and Grayson Allen, just to name a few players that that the advanced stats have him worse than he. So still twenty two years old, he's guaranteed for next million at, uh, for next year at around two million a year, and their team option for three point six million in twenty one twenty two. But it just doesn't seem likely that he's going to get that that guaranteed option, uh, that team option guaranteed. It, he's pretty much been a disaster from from day dot. I think. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked to see him waived if 
the Wolves have a roster crunch. Yeah, they've it's a pretty deep roster, you know, in terms of numbers at the moment, and they've got obviously three picks that they could use in the draft. So at some point they're going to have to to waive someone, and I think Evans would probably be the first player on that list for for Rosas. Yeah. Um, the only thing is that a couple people ahead of him in this list have unguaranteed deals. Yeah. And that could make it a little more easy to waive them. Yeah, I guess if if it comes down to it, you have to waive him and, and still pay him for the rest of the season rather than just non-guaranteeing, like you said, some of the guys that will come up in a second. It's probably better chap-wise, especially for Minnesota, who are pretty hard up against the, the cap line. To um to just waive a non guaranteed guy and keep Evans and play him in the G League or just sit him on the bench as the fifteenth man. Yeah. Um. So we'll get. Well, there's not much to really speak about Evans. So we'll get straight into number seven. That is Jalen Noel. Obviously, he was Minnesota's second round pick last season. He's still just twenty years old. His one point five million dollar contract for next season is non guaranteed. Like we just said. Played 15 games this season, 151 minutes. Um, what do you think about Noel? Um, I hadn't actually really paid too close attention to him prior to this. I um, watched a ton of YouTube highlights on him and stuff, and I kind of liked it as a, like, you know, break glass in case of emergency type of bench scorer. Yeah. Um, he's had a few moments when he was up with the team where he'd come in in garbage time and I think he had like 11 points against the Magic when they were whooping up on us. And I didn't hate what I saw. Yeah, I think he's, I think overall he's a pretty uh, impressive three-level scorer, especially in, in the G League. He was touted kind of as a, as a shooter when he came to the league. I think he shot over 40% um, at Washington as a, as a, uh, in college, but he made three of his 26 three-pointers this season when he did play for Minnesota. So that's a whopping 11.5%. But I think he needs the ball in his hands a little bit more. He's not really just a typical spot-up shooter. He he really shined in the G League as a guy who had an all-do-it-all kind of wing scorer. He, uh, he averaged uh, 21.7 points per game, five boards, a tick under four assists per game. Shot 49.2% from the field, 43.6% from three in the G League with the Iowa Wolves, who play pretty much a, a, an identical system to Minnesota. But he just didn't seem to be able to get it going when he came to the big leagues and he was kind of uh, relegated to a, to a spot-up shooter role who didn't really get the, the time to work with the ball in his hands as much. Yeah, and unless we make a trade or something, the opportunity for him might not be there a lot with this roster. Yeah, we have like eight hundred shooting guards ahead of him from recent drafts, and Malik Beasley. Yeah, it's 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 pretty tough to see a road where he ends up in the rotation as a wing, it, especially like I said with three draft picks, a lot of wings in this draft as well. So I assume they pick at least one wing if they do keep all three picks. So. Next season, I don't know if he is a guy that they that they're looking to waive as a non guaranteed kind of contract. He seems to be one of the guys who will be high on the list if they are waiving people, and just because he doesn't really fit with the roster the way it's constructed at the moment. But I do like Noel. I think he could be a very good player. But he's one of them players at just twenty years old that needs a bit of time. He's a second round pick, so I don't think 
expecting him to come in and be a really useful player is very, you know, kind of easy to see. But overall, I don't, I don't dislike Noel, but he's not NBA ready right now, I don't think. Yeah, I can agree with that. I have a quick question, though. Yo. He's not on the list, but if it came down to it, would you take Keelan, Keelan Martin on the roster or uh, Noel? Um, oh, that's a tough one. I think, obviously, Martin showed more last season. He's probably a bit more versatile where he can play the two and the three, maybe even a bit of small ball four. We saw him last season, even though I don't think that worked very well when he did play it. But obviously, he's a bit bigger, stronger, better defender. Same thing with Martin. I think he came in and we all kind of expected him to be this three-point shooter, and that seemed to be one of his least translatable skills when he did get to the NBA. I think he shot pretty poorly from behind the arc, but he's got a really nice floater game, gets to the ring pretty well. I think I'd probably go Martin just because we've seen more from him, but it would depend on the contract that they signed him. If they could sign him to a Nas Reid type deal where it's team, team options every year, I think uh, Martin would be a better pick. What do you think? I could get behind that. Um, I I'm more or less in the same boat. Um, Martin's a little bit older, however, he didn't really get to practice with the team when he was here because of that two way deal. And yeah. like I, he showed a lot of stuff in the G League that like is promising. And I think if he got his feet under him in like a NBA setting, getting more practice and getting more reps in, it would help a little bit. And yeah, Jalen Noel probably has a role in the league for a while, um, but I would ultimately take Martin over him. Yeah, I think Noel needs to show something as a shooter. If he can get up to those high thirties, you know, low forties, like he's shown it at both college and G League, then there's definitely a place for him. But until it's you know, it's kind of hard to see him getting the opportunity to do that if he doesn't either move teams or or really excel in the G League and, and kind of make his name there and then come over as a as a free agent for another team or for Minnesota down the line. Yeah. Um, so number six is Amari Spellman. Uh, so, uh, he came over in the deal with D'Angelo Russell and Jacob Evans, the one that sent Wiggins to Golden State. He was the 30th pick in 2018, two picks after Evans. He's 22 years old. His $1.9 million deal is guaranteed for next season. He's a big unit. He's measured in at 6'9 and 253 pounds at the draft combine. So I don't know whether he, he's lost a few a few pounds since then, but he's definitely a big dude. I found, I found Spellman really hard to rank. Obviously, the rumors swirled about his unwillingness to play for Minnesota. And nothing was confirmed, really, but uh, they could have used him with Towns out, and yet, you know, he stayed in the G League, and which gives the rumors some legs, I guess. But um, I thought he was he was pretty good at Golden State from what I watched of him and the numbers. He averaged uh, eighteen minutes per game, but per thirty six, he averaged fifteen points and nine rebounds, shot thirty nine percent on on two threes a game. So he kind of seems like a player that could be handy for Minnesota. I had him ranked a little bit higher than you. We settled on six. But what do you think of Spellman? Obviously, it's hard because we didn't get to see him, but but overall. 
Yeah, um, I I think that he could be a higher potential, kind of similar version of Nas Reed. Um, he has more of those like God-given tools where I believe his wingspan was a little bit larger and stuff, and um, he seems like he's a more natural and adept three-point shooter as well. So things like that could make him a more palatable like person to have than Nas, but I think Nas's floor is also just better. So yeah, it could be harder to compare the two. Yeah, I think I think they're pretty similar players. Like they're both not very mobile defensively, struggle a little bit to defend the rim, pretty foul prone, but have real potential as a stretch five. And both pretty decent on the on the roll and the pick and roll as well, which is a really handy kind of offensive skill set to have if you, if you can pop for threes and also get to the ring as a roller. Both have a, a few post moves, but but not very polished down there. But I would like to see Spellman get some minutes, but obviously if he doesn't want to play for Minnesota, which as I said, unconfirmed completely. But if he doesn't, then then it's he's I doubt he'll ever play for them. I, I don't see Saunders or, or Rosas kind of bending to his demands, you know, if if they have a player like Reed. But I think those two probably, if he does want to play, I think that'll be an interesting training camp battle to kind of keep an eye on. Oh, yeah. So, question again. Yeah. Do you think that he was just a throw-in in the Golden State trade to get Golden State under the cap, or do you think the Wolves requested him? I don't remember seeing anything saying either or. Yeah, I don't remember seeing anything, but I'd... I guess that he was just a throw-in to get them under the under the cap. Um, I, a lot of Golden State fans that that I know really liked him. I think he he did give them some good minutes, but there's probably something to be said for why, even you know shooting almost forty percent from three, he still only played eighteen minutes a game. I think that's probably to do with his defensive limitations and maybe a little bit his you know maturity issues. I think he was probably a throw-in, but I think. Minnesota probably thought they could get minutes out of him and didn't know, obviously, that, that he might refuse to play if he did or or whatever the go was there. But I think he was a throw-in who they... If they had the choice, I think they would have taken him out of a few other guys on the roster. But I'm not sure they, they demanded, you know, for Spellman services. Yeah. Is that what you I, think? More or less, yeah. I don't think they openly were like, hey... You're giving us a min. We want Omari Spellman. Yeah. Or no deal. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think he was like the roadblock in get in getting D'Angelo Russell. Uh, so we'll go. We'll go over to number five now. I had these. I had Spellman and number five Jared Vanderbilt swapped just because I think Spellman has showed more in the NBA. But as people who listen to this podcast know, this is a Jared Vanderbilt stand podcast. So I'm happy to have him at number five. We settled on in on number five. He came over in the Robert Covington and Malik Beasley four-team trade, the one with Houston, Denver, Atlanta, sent Clint Capella to Atlanta as well. So there was a lot going on in that, that trade, and Vanderbilt ended up in Minnesota. He was the 41st pick in the 2018 draft, the same draft as Spellman and Evans. He's a year younger than those two guys, 21. He's one point six million dollar contract for next season is non guaranteed. He's a six foot nine power forward. He can play a little bit of small ball five, maybe even a little bit of of three in jumbo lineups. He only featured in two games and played a total of five minutes for Minnesota, so tough to get a read on him there. But 
and he's only played 115 minutes overall in his two seasons. So it's it's hard to know exactly what his NBA potential is like because we never really got to see him that much. But he's one of them guys that, that people in Denver really spoke highly of, really liked his potential, and, and I'm in the same boat. I've watched pretty much all of his G League games and, and he's got a lot to like about him, Vanderbilt. What do you like about him? Um. Well... I saw a bunch of G League highlights where he would just go off and have some crazy games. I wasn't like really confused why he wasn't up with the roster, considering we had like no big men and we were moving James Johnson to the center all the time. Um, but he can kind of do a lot. He showed that he was a decent scorer in the G League, pretty good rebounder, pretty athletic, could competently pass better than. Um, or at least on par with most of our big men. We, we have really good passive big men. Um, yeah. But there's not much that you could like openly hate about this guy. Yeah, I think he's... The, one, the first thing I noticed when I watched his G League games is he's a really good rebounder. He's like he's undersized at six foot nine, and he's not very you know st- strong-looking, I guess, but he's just one of them guys who have a, has a nose for the ball. He knows where where the ball's going to come off the off the rim or off the backboard. He he averaged what was it so thirteen twelve point nine boards uh, for for the Iowa Wolves. He only played seven games for Iowa Wolves, but twelve point nine nine boards to go along with his fifteen point nine points, three point four assists. Like you said, he's a pretty pretty good passer for a a power forward. He also got one point four steals and one point three blocks a game. Shot fifty one percent from the field and 21.4% on two threes a game. So obviously a lot of work to do on his three-point shot, but it's not broken by any means. I don't think even the form is really bad. There's a few few little variations that I think a shot doctor would, would like to make to his form. But overall, he's he's just kind of a kind of do-it-all guy. He can dribble. He can, can attack off the dribble from the perimeter. Really good rebounder, like I said, passed a bit. Still has a few lapses defensively, but has shown some really nice flashes as, as a shot blocker and as a, a guy who can contain perimeter players on switches. So I'm I'm really high on Vanderbilt. I agree. I don't know why he didn't get much time with, with the big team last season, but it remains to be seen whether he's one of the guys they, they cut as well from the non-guaranteed contract. Yeah, um... What's the lowest pick that you would take for Vanderbilt? In, in this draft? Yep. Um, I'd probably, I think, I think I'd probably take maybe like an early second rounder for him. I think like like if if another team gave you a pick in between, you know, 30 and 35, I think I'd take that for Vanderbilt. Outside of that, I think he has just as much potential as any guy that you that's going to get drafted, you know, 40 and onwards. Yeah, I my, uh, my reading on him was just about the same. I probably in a vacuum would say that he's about equal value as Minnesota's second. Yeah, I think obviously it depends who you pick. I think there's better players. Like, as people know, I'm a really big fan of, like, Desmond Bain. I think Bain is a better player than, than Vanderbilt just because... It's tough to see Vanderbilt ever really becoming an impact player unless he can shoot the three, just especially on this team. But as a, a four who's 
undersized, I guess, for a five. He does do a lot of things well, but he needs to be able to shoot the three at least, you know, league average or, or a little bit lower to really stick in the league, I think. Yeah, at least for us, we'll have some help with, like, cat spacing the floor and almost just everybody's shooting if he gets to play with the starters. Yeah, and he moves really well off the ball. He He's never standing still. He's a really good cutter. He, he sits in the dunker spot really well, really well for those little drop-off passes off, off pick and rolls or, or, you know, dribble drives from guards. So I can see the way he would fit onto this team, but obviously it seems like this team doesn't really want to give anyone a chance unless they can shoot, you know, if you're not named Josh Otogi or Jared Culver, who are both already, you know, kind of cemented in, in the rotation. So it's tough to see him for me getting breaking through to the lineup, but I really hope that he does because I, I'm a really big fan of Vanderbilt. Yeah, same. I I initially thought that he could be a guy that we would waive and um, uh, have someone else claim just to get under the luxury tax, but yeah, I, I, I've been sold on him lately. Yeah, I, I wrote an article about him not long ago, so so if you're listening, go check that out. If you want to know a bit more about Vanderbilt, I went really in-depth on his game, but like you said, I won't be surprised if they waive him. They need to cut some money from this from this cap sheet. At the end of the day, if, if Vanderbilt's a guy that I don't think he's going to be able to play meaningful minutes, then he might be the guy who goes. Yeah. By the way, I labeled this section the G League section. Um, just because none of these guys played. <laughs> yeah, it's and a lot, you know, and a lot of them came over with fifteen games left before the season got suspended. So it's hard to get a, to get a good read on them, especially because they didn't even feature for the for the main team. So it's hard to rank those guys. Obviously, they're kind of just all, I guess, personal preference in the end. Yeah. Um. I don't think I'd be bothered if I didn't see any of these guys on our roster going forward. Yeah, it's, it's easy to fall in love, I guess, with, with young players like Vanderbilt and stuff when you're kind of tantalized by their potential. But at the end of the day, they're all, even at his best, he's probably a bench player. So it's not going to, I don't think, turn my hair gray if if Vanderbilt or any of the other guys don't end up on the roster next season or going forward. Yeah, should we move on? Yeah, yeah. So, number four, um, Nas Reed. We've spoken about Nas a lot on this podcast already. He was undrafted out of LSU last season, signed by Minnesota pretty much immediately after the draft. They signed him to a two-way, and then halfway through the summer league, they converted that two-way to a four-year deal. The first season was guaranteed, and then after that, it's... It's $1.5 million non-guaranteed for next season and then more non-guaranteed years up to 2023. He played 30 games last season, including 11 starts when Towns went down with that injury, with the, the wrist injury. His minutes were kind of up and down before the Towns injury, but in the 11 games as a starter, he averaged 11.7 points, 6.5 rebounds, 1.2 blocks a game shot 40% from the field and 27% on three threes a game, which is surprised me a little bit. I thought he was, I thought he converted his three-point shots a little bit better than that, but obviously that was the eye test playing tricks on me. But um, what's your thoughts on Reid? I know I've talked about him a lot over the past few weeks, but are you high on Reid? Initially, I 
was not about Nas Reed at all. I hated him and wish that we would bring up Omari Spellman, Jared Vanderbilt, or anybody else. Um, but I slowly warmed up, and now I'm pretty okay with him being our backup or third stringer. Uh, he showed he started showing more and more as he got comfortable um, becoming a starter, but was a little outmatched at times, and it was very clear that he was a rookie. Uh, but he showed a lot of upside, and I don't hate that he's on a hinky deal. I think he, of the guys that we've talked about so far, he was he'd be the only one that I'd want on our roster going forward. If like you forced me to make decisions. Um, but I don't think he's going to be a starter. I think he'd be a very good backup and even a third stringer at times, depending on, like, if we draft someone like Oneki Okongwu. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think I, I'm i in the same boat. I was really low on, on him at the start, and a lot of guys on Twitter, you know, will know that I gave him a bit for the way he played early on, and I didn't think that Minnesota were, were right to kind of throw him to the wolves, so to say. And, you know, starting when Towns went down, I thought that he was just out of his depth a little bit. But like you said, I warmed on him. I've just rewatched most of the 14 games from, from the post-deadline, and I actually think his defense is a little bit better than I originally thought it was. It's easy to get caught up when you're watching the game live and, you know, you, you really want your team to win and kind of miss the good things that he does and just focus on the bad things. But he's actually not too bad defensively. He's a really big body. He he has problems staying vertical and he gets in foul trouble a lot, which is a, a big problem for him, but something that a lot of young big guys deal with. But I think position-wise, he's pretty good defensively. He can block shots. He can deal with with stronger players. So I do... I have come around to read a little bit, but... I'm the same. I don't think he'll ever be anything but a, a decent backup, if not, you know, just an average backup. Yeah, it doesn't help that he was just thrown to the gauntlet, too. I think we had, like, Vucevic, Porzingis, um, Bam, all these, like, really great centers. And we Naz had to just fight all of them. That, that was his, like, introduction to the starting in the league. Yeah, he didn't get he didn't they didn't do him much favors really, did they? Um, I've got an interesting stat for for Nas Reed. So, thirty eight players aged under twenty, not twenty or under, um, played last season or played enough minutes to qualify for basketball in, index's player impact plus minus, which is a really a really handy you know all encompassing kind of advanced stat. Out of those thirty eight players, only Zion Williamson, Isaac Bonga. And Wendell Carter Jr. had a better player impact plus minus than Reed, who was uh, plus zero point two, which is still you know not not great. But for a rookie, and especially an undrafted rookie, to be right up there with with those really young players in the lead is very encouraging. And he was a positive on both ends as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Um, really surprising the bong was on there too. Yeah, Bong is on there because he's he was just really rated high defensively. I think he was a pretty decent minus as an offensive player, but Bonga, yeah, a really good defensive player and and kind of in that I guess like Josh Okereke type mold where he's excels on one end and and really struggles on the other. 
Yeah, it doesn't help that, or it probably helps a lot that he's the only like good defender on the Wizards too. Yeah, so yeah, it's 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 probably easier to stand out as the defender when the rest of your team sucks. So would you take, say we it comes to our thirty third pick, thirty seven, thirty third, and Daniel Otaru is on the board, and some team offers us a future second for our pick or Nas Reed to take Otaru. Would you take? Would you keep the pick and take Otaru and trade Nas, or would you keep Nas and trade the pick? For a future one, um, I think I haven't I haven't dug into Aturo as much as I would like. He's definitely on my list of guys that I want to look at. But from everything I've heard, you know, I've heard up and down things about him. I know uh, Dane Moore was really high on him, and then a few other guys' podcasts and, and stuff that I've listened to are pretty low on him. So it's hard for me to get a really to give a really you know definitive answer. I think, um. I think I'd probably stick with Nas just because you've got him on the on the better deal. Even as a second round pick, you're still getting paid more money than than Nas will be, and they have so much control over his deal with that those team options every year. And I think with this team, you know, the tight the cap tied up in with you know D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, and most likely Malik Beasley. I think you really need to work the margins as as good as you can and and get as many contributors on really cheap deals as you can. And I think Nas, albeit not a starter and maybe not even a a really good player, he's the kind of guy who can definitely give you spot minutes, you know, 10 to 18 minutes a game. And if you can do so on on 1.5 million a year with team options every year and the ability to to cut him loose, if you feel like you can sign a better player or, or draft someone who in the first round or something that you're really confident in. Uh, I think that Nas is the better value play in in that respect. What would you do? I would take Tura. Would ya? Get rid of Nas. I'm admittedly probably still more down on Nas than the rest, but if you gave me the choice of taking any of like Stewart, um, Carey, uh, Zeke, or Tura. I'm taking them over Nas. Yeah, there's definitely I've definitely heard good things about all of them. I've watched a bit of a bit of Zeke, so I I do like him. I think it's it's just hard until you see them in the NBA to really know obviously what they'll do. But that's that's the game you play in the draft and and with trading for draft picks. But I respect that. I can see where where you're coming from. I'd be interested to see if that if that ever came around. I'd be very interested to see what what route they took. Yeah. All right. So, and this draft is loaded with center too. I I might have Jared Vanderbilt more like valuable right now than Nas just because of the center market. Yeah, I think I think you can always get a decent backup center in the free agent pool. You know, pretty pretty easily for for pretty cheap, and you can always like like you said this this draft is loaded with centers, especially going from you know twenty five to fifty. So I think with their second round picks, there'll definitely be uh, a litany of of centers there who who come in with the, with similar values and similar potential. So if they were looking to cut bait on on Reed, I think drafting a guy at thirty three, like you said, a Turo or, or Nanji or um, a bunch of other guys, Vernon Carey, I think that wouldn't be a terrible option. But 
for me, the the cap situation kind of uh, rules above all in, in that scenario, just because there's such it's such fine margins for Minnesota to to keep themselves under the luxury tax. I know they're they're just over it at the moment, but I'm sure they'll get back under it next season. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, so I think it's it's just um yeah it's a tough one. It's it'll be interesting to see what they do with Nas, especially like I said with Spellman earlier. If Spellman does want to play. I'll be pretty interested to see if them two are, are locked in a, a training camp battle to see who, who ends up as the, the backup center. Yeah. Um, so we'll get into number three. So entering our top three. Uh, me and you had differing opinions on, on two and three, but we settled for Josh Okoge at number three. Um, obviously, like I said, it was a toss-up between, between him and the next guy. Akoji was Minnesota's 20th pick in 2018, even though it feels like he's been here for so much longer than, than two seasons. He's still just 21 years old. He's on his rookie-scale deal that has him being paid $2.6 million for next season and then a team option for 21-22 for around $4 million. So still, still a good deal. I thought he struggled a bit at the start of this season. The roster... Of all the players, you know, the roster didn't, the system didn't complement the roster at all. But I thought of all the players, Okoji is the one guy whose who's skills really got diminished by the system and his flaws really got got magnified. But after the after the roster reconstruction, I thought he definitely was on, you know, on the upper eyes. He averaged 8.5 points and four rebounds on 40% shooting and 24% from three before the deadline. And then after the deadline, pretty much the same counting numbers, nine points, four boards, but that came on 50% field goal percentage and 35.5% from beyond the arc. The the newfound spacing, I thought, really helped him. It it allowed him to to move without the ball and, and go towards the rim without without players already clogging the lane, you know, already defenders clogging the lane because Beasley and, and Russell and even guys like, like Reed and, and James Johnson, Juancho and Gomez, they all commanded defenders from beyond the arc, which allowed Okoge to kind of do his thing and get toward the rim, cut without the ball, attack closeouts and kind of just play with, with a heap of energy. And then you obviously throw in his point of attack defense which I thought really improved again this season he became more controlled more well-rounded and put all that together and I think he he still has a really good role on this team yeah I freaking love Joshua Kogi um he he what like in those games where we'd get be uh start getting blown out and everything and start being down by 20 it felt like a lot of the team had been giving up. It's a younger team, and it's understandable. Um, but Joshua Kogi was, like, the only guy that, like, never hit the off button, was still going 100% every single game um, and every single minute that he was in. I don't think we did him too many favors playing him at small forward. I think, ideally, in a perfect world, he would be our starting shooting guard with uh, Malik coming off the bench if we bring him back. But he held his own for the most part at small forward, regardless. Yeah, so I think I think I don't want to skip over that hot take. So, so do you think Beasley would be the better sixth man, and Cody as the two, just because of obviously defensive reasons? 
Yeah, I I think Beasley should still be getting starter minutes. Just if you could put not have him, D'Lo and Cat uh, on the floor at the same time, as much as you could, it'd make more sense. And then like him and D'Lo together is fine. Him and Cat together is fine. But putting all three of them puts a lot of strain on our defenders. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I think it, it definitely makes sense. I think in that scenario, you need Okoge to just become a passable three-point shooter, a guy that they can't just leave every time and double Cat off because if, if when Cat is in the post uh, with a team that can shoot all around him, it makes it so much harder for the defense to, to come and double-team him. But if you have Okoge out there who's going to shoot, you know, 25 to 30% from three, he's the guy that, that immediately puts the stress on your offense. And as much as there's definitely more spacing now and they can afford to have, you know, a, a few guys who can't shoot more than they could at the start of the season, I still think it, it, it's a tough sell to have him playing 35 minutes a game with the starters if he can't at least hit the hit the occasional three. Yeah, are you buying his um, boost in percentages once we got the new guys? Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of noise there. I think his overall field goal percentage I buy just because it, it comes mainly as a as a reward of I guess cutting to the rim and being able to attack closeouts with a defense that's scrambling to to make up for the other four shooters. I don't think he, the thirty five percent from three I think is definitely small sample size type type numbers. I don't think he'll he'll ever shoot, you know, thirty six percent from from beyond the arc. But if he can get it up to you know low thirties, thirty three percent, I think overall for the season he shot around twenty six percent with the with the two different rosters. So if he can get that up to thirty two, thirty three, I think that is passable for what else he can do with the ball, um, what else he can do offensively and and as a defensive player. Sorry. But I think he also needs to just uh, work on his ball handling and overall control as an offensive player. And I think that's just as important to, to getting the most out of his offense. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And also, he got such a boost from the like increased playmaking abilities. Going from Teague and uh, a platoon of Napier, Wiggins, Culver, all running the point. Um, going from that to Jordan McLaughlin. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin and D'Angelo Russell, it, it's night and day. A lot of, the team looked a lot better and more fluid when they were making plays as opposed to the former Wolves. Yeah, and Akogi's one of them guys where he really needs a good playmaker on the on the court with him, a good facilitator, because he he moves pretty well without the ball, and if you can find him on those little cuts, I think Towns Towns and him have really good chemistry as well. When Towns in the post and Akogi dives towards the rim. I think that's that's a really you know a, a really good pairing there. I think that's the way they combat teams doubling off Akoji and going to Towns because if Akoji then cuts to the rim, Towns is a really good passer out of the post. So once Akoji's free, if he can get if he can get to the rim without his man on him, that kind of punishes the defense for leaving him. So I really like the way he does that. Um, I have here, which is a crazy stat. I tweeted it out the other day, but he he actually has among all players who aren't big men, so power forwards and centers, 
Uh, Cody actually has the fourth highest free throw rate in the league. That's behind Jimmy Butler, James Harden, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, which is just a crazy number because they're obviously such high usage, you know, stars, and they get a, a lot of good calls. But Cody, I think that's his most underrated talent is how well he gets to the line, how well he uses those pump fates. I don't even know how players still bite for those pump fakes in the mid-range and stuff because he, he cannot hit that shot. But he, he's pump fake and he, he the way he gets to the rim and draws fouls is actually genuinely elite. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, you got to respect it. If he's going dri- like, to drive past you and once he's going, it's really hard to stop him. Yeah, and I think a, a little bit of it as well is because he plays so out of control with the ball in his hands that it doesn't take much to kind of knock him off balance or to, to make it look like you've fouled him. So that probably plays in his favor in, in that instance. But overall, he needs to become a, a more controlled ball handler and kind of overall finisher, I think. He's, he's still not great at finishing around the rim. That, that'll be a big improvement for him as well. Yeah, but I mean, like you said, as long as he can keep getting those fouls, it doesn't hurt as much. Yeah, and he hits and he hits at a really good percentage from from the beyond uh, from the free throw line as well. So I'm, I don't have, have oh sorry, I don't have it in front of me, but um, it's it's in the low 80s I think, which is really good numbers and a really good indicator actually that that he could he will end up shooting threes at a higher a higher efficiency. So hopefully that pans out. Yeah, it's seventy nine point six. Well, there you go. Yeah, so that that's a that's really good efficiency, especially if you get into the lines. At almost so, almost fifty percent of his total field goals um, were free throws. If that makes sense. So, like, I don't know how many field goals he attempted, but you you cut that in half, and that's pretty much how many free throws he attempted as well, which is a really really high rate. Oh yeah, and he's one of the best like offensive rebounding shooting guards too, or wings, I guess. Yeah, yeah, he uh, that really came along this year. I think he's one of the guys, like you said, he just never gives up, and that's that's one of the, the key things, I guess, in offensive rebounding is is always having an eye for the ball and always hustling hard to get the rebound. And he was just really good at that, and then getting them stick backs or, or put back dunks. I, I tweeted something out the other day about um the put back dunk he had against Denver, and that is a draw a jaw dropping dunk. If you don't, if you haven't seen it, go. Check out my Twitter feed, or, or just search in, you know, Josh and Cody put back dunk on YouTube, and it is monstrous. And that's the kind of stuff that's not surprising to see with him because he, he really does go so hard, and he, he's very athletic. Yeah, he's always really fun to watch. He has those plays at least like once a game where it's just some bonkers thing that gets everyone on their feet. Yeah, he's definitely an an, an, uh, an energy player, so. He's the kind of guy that every team needs, I think. And just if he hones his skills just a little bit more, I think he could end up being a really, really important player for Minnesota and just an important player in general for, for whatever team he ends up with if it's not if it's not Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Should we move on to... Um, uh, so we'll go on to... What was that? Yeah, we'll go on to, no, we'll go on to number two, yeah. Um, so number two, this is the guy that we kind of tossed, tossed and turned about. Um, so Jared Culver... Um, obviously, he was Minnesota's first rounder last season, pick six, 21 years old. He's owed $6 million next season and then team options for $6 million and $8 million respectively for the next two seasons after that. Uh, he had his well-known struggles last season 
Um, I still think he has loads of potential to grow into a really good player. Overall, he averaged 9.2 points, 3.4 boards, 1.7 assists, 40% from the field, just a tick under 30% from the from three-point line, and, of course, the ghoulish 46% from the free-throw line. I think, like a Cody, his efficiency really came on after the deadline. Once that team was reshaped in the same way, I think, you know, a, a little bit less pressure on him um, as a store in general, just because they, they got so many more offensive weapons to wield. Uh, after the deadline, he bumped his uh, pretty similar counting stats, but he bumped his field goal percent, percentage up to 40, 48% from the, from the field and 41.5% from the three-point line on 2.9 attempts per game. Again, there's a lot of noise and, and, and small sample size there, but it was really encouraging to see to see him have another another really good stretch at the end of the season. What do you think? Um, Mike Nasrid, I just hated Jared Culver's game when he, when, like, he was first playing. And there were plays where I'm not a great basketball player at all. I didn't play it in high school. And you'd, if you ever watched me play, you'd be uh, pretty disappointed. But I thought I could dribble better than Jared Culver. At various points, <laughs> um, but as the season went on, I started selling myself more and more on him, and like realizing, like, okay, yeah, he's just a project. Like, um, he's not gonna come off the gates, killing it. But at first, I thought he was like Chris Dunn 2.0, where lots of hype coming out of college and then pretty much bust. Although Dunn's kind of reinvent himself as a really, really nice defensive stopper. Yeah, I think I think that's his one NBA-level strength right now, Culver, is that he can defend multiple multiple wing positions, hold his own. He's still not strong enough, I don't think, to kind of deal with, with every player, and he gets bumped off the ball pretty easily. But overall, versatile, very quick feet, quick hips, Really good instincts as a defensive playmaker. He he does get a lot of blocks and steals, you know, for for a wing defender. So I do think he'll he'll become a really good defender. the The question obviously is, can he become a good enough a good enough offensive player, where he's not just in the same mold as a Cody, I guess, with with even less overall, you know, hustle and energy. But I think he has more more potential than a Cody as a an offensive player. He he's a Decent passer. I think he's a can be a decent playmaker as a wing. He gets to the ring pretty well. I, he missed so many shots at the rim that that just rolled around and fell off the ring. I think that's that was just a real a really you know rookie kind of struggle to have where that touch was just a millimeter off on on his layups and on those little floaters that those little you know floater type layups that he does. But I think as he continues to work on his game, I can see him becoming a really good dribble drive kind of guy. I'm not sure the shooting will ever be, you know, right up to up to NBA standard, but if he can, same as a Cody, if he can get it to the low 30s and then kind of improve on the other areas offensively, I think he can be a really handy player, two-way player. Yeah, um, when I, I've been thinking a lot of, like, who is the perfect pairing for D'Angelo Russell and, like, the idea of what Derek Culver could be is probably, like, as close to perfect as it gets. Big guy, great defender, um, 
good secondary playmaker. And if he gets to like 35% from three, which might not be asking a lot, possibly, he shot, um, what was the postal uh, deadline? Something. Uh, so 41.5% on two, almost three a game. Yeah, so like it's definitely doable to kind of find a middle ground. That free throw percentage isn't really encouraging, though. Um, but if he shoots 35% from three and has all those other things going for him, like, it's hard to find a better like running mate for D'Angelo. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think, like you said, the, the secondary playmaking is really important. Obviously, Russell can handle a, a fairly big load of the playmaking when he's on the tour. But you always need that guy who can who can playmate a little bit when, when the play breaks down and who can take the load off, off Russell's shoulders a little bit. Beasley's obviously a really good scorer, but I don't think he's the playmaker at all that that um, Russell needs next to him. And he's definitely not the playmaker I think that Culver is or could be. And like you said, the, the three-point shot I don't think is broken. I think there's definitely real problems with his form at the free-throw line. Some of it's mental, some of it's, you know, mechanical. But I'd be surprised if he's a 50% free-throw shooter for the rest of his career. I'd be surprised if he's he's not up to over 60 next season just because it seems like they were reworking his shot and it seemed like the free-throw, the mechanics of the the free-throw were the first thing that kind of got broken down and he struggled to, to really fix it throughout the season. But... As he gets a full off season to to sharpen up that those mechanical aspects, I can see him becoming at least a, a passable free throw shooter and, and a better three point shooter. Yeah, you heard that he um, rented out an Airbnb up here to and just to, so they'd have a basketball court that he could shoot at, right? Yeah, that's a great story. Obviously, there's been so many stories about how hard a worker he is, and, and that's seems to be not kind of, you know, just spouting spouting nonsense to, to make him look better because everyone from, you know, high school to college to the NBA have, have raved about how hard he works and that's just another example that he really wants to get better and that that's that's really important. Yeah. A lot of people just aren't even playing basketball right now. No, half the players don't even have, like, hoops near them. So it's cool that Culver went the extra mile. Yeah, and it's really good for the from the team as well. I think to help him out, they could have easily said like, "Look, you know, you're in isolation. We can't really do anything to help you." But it's really cool of them that they went the yeah, the extra mile to to help him out and to get him a, a a ring to shoot on and a court to to practice on. So that might be you know an early step into this off season. I'm not sure whether Minnesota will end up playing more games or not. That's still up in the air, but. Every day, it seems like more likely that the Minnesota are going to be one of the teams that miss out on that, you know, either playing tournament or one to sixteen seeding for the playoffs. So it's good to get a little bit of early off season work in, I guess, for Culver. Yeah. Should we move on to number one? Yep, we will go to number one. Drum roll. Jordan McLaughlin. I wish I, I was thought about including McLaughlin just because I was going to say like guys who have you know played like under two seasons in, in the league, but I thought the list is already at eight as it is. We're we're already going to be you know probably a fair bit over an hour for the podcast, and and I can talk about McLaughlin for an hour on his own. So 
Yeah. I thought we'll keep him off it. I know you're the number one McLaughlin stan, so we might have been stuck on that for like three days. <laughs> yeah, and you know, 23 is a weirder number, but like if we went to the whole number of 25, it'd be the entire team minus James Johnson. So, yeah, that's why. It makes that's sense why to draw I, that line. Yeah, that's why I did that because I, I thought about 25, but like you said, every player on the roster is under 25, which is a good thing, but. You know, this podcast would have went for hours if if we went for 25. So I decided 23. And on that note, the number one player, no prizes for guessing this one, is Malik Beasley. Uh, despite, you know, his mini breakout in a Wolves uniform, he's still only 23. He was the 19th pick in the 2016 draft. So so definitely picked a few years before the, the most of these guys. Uh, he's due for his payday this offseason, as most of you know. Restricted free agent. Uh, Minnesota will get to match any offer that that he signs in the free agency. Obviously, there, there's a lot of you know, not rumors, but I guess discussion around what he's going to get paid, what he should get paid, how much they should offer him. But even with that that looming contract as kind of a dampener on his overall value, he's still the clear number one choice here for Minnesota. He averaged twenty point seven points, five rebounds, two assists. 47.2% from the field, 42.6% on over eight threes a game. Just proved to look like a really high-level scorer, pretty much. We, we all know he's about his defensive shortcomings. We've spoken about it a little bit in this, which are very, very real concerns. But he seems to be just a, a beautiful fit offensively as a third option for this team. So it's it's easy to, to put him number one here, and it's easy to see the potential with Beasley what what did you get from Beasley's, you know, 14 games or so that he played with Minnesota? I was kind of surprised, kind of expecting it. Um, I've followed him a little bit when he was in Denver, and he was always that guy that just kind of needed that extra role and, like, needed that solidarity. I think the few games were last year or two years ago, last year, where uh, Gary Harris was out and he had to start. He did pretty well. I don't remember the stats offhand, but it's if I remember right, it's pretty like on par with what he did for us. Um, and then like I think of D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Beasley. Beasley is probably the most likely to be an average or slightly above average defender going forward. Yeah, I think I think Beasley definitely wants to be a good defender more than those two guys have shown, Towns and Russell, but all three of them have really big holes in their technique. The more I've watched Beasley, you know, just like I said, I've rewatched most of these games for that Minnesota, you know, played after the trade deadline and he just he just gets plastered on on screens, you know, pick and roll defense. He it's not that he's not trying hard enough. It's just that he he doesn't. His technique's really bad. He he doesn't get make himself skinny to get through screens at all. And as soon as he gets knocked off, or any player, you know, gets gets knocked off in the pick and roll, it puts a lot of stress on the defense. And, and when Carl Anthony Towns is going to be that guy on the back line of your defense, you you don't want to put any more stress on him because he's already putting enough stress on the defense himself with his technique issues and whatnot. So I do think he wants to be a good defender. I. 
I don't think he'll ever be a good defender, but I can see him becoming a, a better defender, at least league average defender, which would probably be a pretty big bonus for this team. Yeah, he. I think his biggest thing for this offseason would be putting on some muscle to help with that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. He's he's not small, but he could definitely become a bit bigger, and he's not he's not very big height wise, so he does need to be a bit stronger. He's pretty quick and athletic, but yeah, a bit of strength to to work his way through screens, and and I think he he needs to work on his on his the way he slides his feet and and getting into the defensive stance, sitting down in the defensive stance. I think that would be big for him, but. From all reports and from everything he's said, you know, personally, he's pretty aware of his defensive shortcomings, which is is the first step, you know, to becoming a better defender. So I I think he'll become a better defender as time goes on, but I wouldn't bank on him ever being a good defender and I, I wouldn't bank on him coming out next year and all of a sudden, you know, flipping the switch and becoming this really good pick and roll defender. I think he'll still be pretty bad. And like you said, maybe that's the reason why he's better suited to a, a six-man microwave type role. Yeah. What what contract would he have to sign for you to take Jared Culver or Josh Kogi over him for number one? Um, I think uh, I think over $15 million would be where I start to get a bit iffy about it. Even $15 million still seems like a lot for a guy who's got a really small sample size of, of being a, a great offensive player. I do believe that that it's sustainable. The he's shooting, he's got beautiful shooting form. Gets his feet squared and his body squared really well, coming off screens for, for pull up jumpers, and he he can shoot in the mid range, get to the rim a little bit as well. So I do see him continuing to be a really good scorer. But something like four years, sixty million, is probably the real limit for me. I'd prefer something like four years, forty eight million. And if you wanted a bit more per 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 year, maybe three year forty five. If you're gonna pay him fifteen million, I'd rather drop the years just because if it does go sour, you can wriggle your way out of it a little bit easier if if it's one less year on the contract. What do you think? See, I I was expecting his contract to be fifteen million, uh, but <laughs> I. Yeah, I think it would be similar. I think it will be up there in that region, but it's it's oh, it doesn't sit overly well with me. I get that. Um, I think my number would probably be about eighteen a year, um, and that is about seventy-two, four years, seventy-two mil, and so that's where I'd start to kind of want to put Culver ahead of him, and maybe even a Kogi. Yeah, eighteen million just seems like a lot of money to invest in a. In a third scoring option who can't defend, I think he's obviously got a lot of talents and he's a really good shooter. But at eighteen million, it's it's a tough sell for me. And like I said, even fifteen million is a tough sell for me. And I think with the current climate and the the way you know a lot of, not a lot of teams have have much cap space, and the teams that do have cap space, a lot of them don't seem likely to to chase Beasley. I I won't be surprised if he gets, you know, twelve million a year. I think Minnesota will probably start at something like like ten, like he, he got offered in, in Denver. I don't think he'd agree to that and then maybe meet somewhere in the middle, maybe twelve, maybe fifteen. I think that's probably how it's gonna shake out. I do think he'll end up in Minnesota there. Yeah. Um I was just listening to Hollinger and Duncan's podcast. And they were saying that, or they were speculating that he'd probably get a low teens starting salary, 
And I'm, I was pretty happy to hear that, but I'm still a little skeptical. He's my guy that I had picked even before he broke out in Minnesota as a most likely to be overpaid in the offseason. Yeah, I think if someone comes in hard for him um, in Minnesota, they obviously really like him. And, you know, I don't think that Rosas will, will pay massive amounts for him, but I think they really want to keep him. If someone comes in with an $18 million deal, and I, I do think they probably will match it, and in that scenario, I think he definitely takes the cake for, for most overplayed player this this season. Yeah. Would you take Beasley on um, four years, 72, or would you take Buddy Heald on his new extension, the four years, about 94? Cool. I'd take Beasley in that, in that scenario. I think I like Buddy a bit better just because he's probably just that one tier up as a shooter and and probably a better all-round scorer. They're both pretty bad on defense and, and don't add much in the way of, you know, playmaking or or facilitating or even, you know, ball handling in general. They're not they're not really the guy, the lead guard you want handling the ball all the time. But in that scenario, Beasley's obviously a lot cheaper than, than Buddy. I don't think the gap between them is that big. And Heald has kind of shown that he's a little bit of a locker room problem, I guess, this season. He, there have definitely been some up and down, you know, situations with him as a, as a locker room presence and as a as a teammate. So all of those things considered, I'd take Beasley on the 72. Would you do the same or? Oh yeah. Um, I'm for some reason I have people like, I keep seeing people like overvaluing healed and like rating him very high. And like they'd give up first to get him on their roster. And I haven't really understood that to the extent that like, I feel like he's overpaid. Um, but I would definitely take Beasley on 18 mil a year over that. Yeah, I think I, I'm pretty high on Heald. I think just because he's a genuinely elite shooter. Like if Beasley's a really good shooter, Heald's one step up above from that. He he can hit in all situations, really good mover off the ball, really good at that head and shoulders pump fake, you know, take one dribble and get back into his shot. But at 90, whatever, 94 million, that's... um. That's too much for me for Heald, especially on this team where you already, you know, got 50% of your cap tied up to to Russell and Towns. I think the last thing you want to do is add another, you know, near $100 million deal for a guy who you're not completely sold on as a defender or as a guy who can, who can turn you into a championship team. Yeah, that's also where my deal breaker is with that. The less money spent on it, the better. Yeah, exactly. This this team, like I said, they need to pinch pennies everywhere they can, and if you can, if that if pinching pennies, you know, means you're signing Beasley to a seventy two million dollar contract rather than taking Heald on a on a ninety four million contract, then that's still pinching that's still pinching pennies, even though you're spending seventy two million dollars. But obviously, that's a hypothetical. Nothing's been discussed. But I think Beasley. I think. If they can sign him for anything under 15, that's a win this season. And that gives you a lot more flexibility moving forward. Yeah, and the lower after that, the better he'd be, a, the better asset he'd be in a trade for like Devin Booker. Getting Beasley on like a four year 40 mil or a three year 30 mil deal versus getting him on a three year, you know, 15 mil annually. Um, 45 mil. There we go. 
deal, it'd be harder to sell the Suns on taking such a large salary. Yeah, exactly. As soon as you pay him too much, he's not really a trade asset for if you're chasing stars. Like if you're chasing a, a Booker or a Beal, even Beasley on a on a fifteen to eighteen million dollar deal doesn't really move the needle because if those teams are going to move their best player, they're probably going to go back into a you know rebuild kind of mode. And the last thing you want on a rebuild in a rebuild is big contracts that you can't move. Yeah. So, one last comparison question. Beasley on 70, the aforementioned 72, or Jay Scrub on the second round pick? I know you're a Jay Scrub stan, so, like, this is a trap. <laughs> I know this is a trap. But um, I think I'd still probably take Beasley, just mainly because I haven't watched a lot of Scrub, but... He played at a really low division school, didn't he? And I, I, I don't trust that he could replicate Beasley's, you know, kind of numbers or impact. And even if he did, even if he could get, you know, kind of half of that, I think this team needs a guy who can, who can be a really decent scorer as a third scorer. I don't think, I think Strub's ceiling is still probably not as high as Minnesota need from from a guard. So. Um, if you're on that, I'd like to watch more scrub before before I made a definitive, you know, sweeping statement. But right now, I'd take Beasley. What would you do? I know the answer. I'd still take Beasley. Ah, uh, would you? <laughs> yeah. As much as I love Jay Scrub, it, it's yeah. hard to take him over Beasley. Who would you? I don't know if you're as high as, as him on me, but would you take Beasley on say a good deal? Say Beasley on. Say three years, forty-five million, so fifteen million annually, or mm-hmm. uh, say Devin Vassell and a future first. So you pick Devin Vassell and you get a future first for Beasley. That's tough. Who's the future first from in this hypothetical? Like, is it going to be a late first or? Uh, yeah. Let's say it's a late first. Let's say a good team takes Beasley in a sign and trade and give you give you a first round pick for him. And you take Vassal with the the sixth or seventh pick from Minnesota's pick this season. I, I think I'd rather stick with Beasley. Yeah, yeah. So that one that one's a tough one for me. I think I'd take Vassal just because I think Vassal adds more to this team than than Beasley. I think Beasley's a better player, but I think Vassal's off ball defense and ability to still hit threes and I think still eventually be a pretty decent scorer, you know, maybe a 15-point game, point-a-game scorer, plus a really, really good defender. Like, I, I can see he's ceiling at, like, Robert Covington-type off-ball mayhem defender, which might be a bit, um, you know, optimistic, but I'm really high on Vassell. If that was me, I would, um, yeah, I'd take Vassell. In general, you know, if people probably know that Vassell's my my number one guy for Minnesota if they don't if they land outside of the top three. Yeah, I I admittedly still need to watch more Vassell, um, but I think what Beasley brings to us that third scorer is something that Minnesota just can't replace really well. Nobody's gonna really come here in free agency, unfortunately, unless we egregiously overpay, and then. It'll be hard to find the people like that on trade markets. It will be a fair deal. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good point. I 
it's tough for me because I, I I think I don't know where the line gets drawn on how much they need Beasley as a storer rather than a guy who should really defend at that position who could also add you know ten to fifteen points a game and then like you said before like with a Cody you know if you get if you get that defensive presence in the starting lineup that really takes a lot of stress off off Towns and Russell but it's hard to know who that player is or how how important they'd be compared to Beasley's 20 points a game and elite three-point shooting. Yeah, but fortunately, we can probably take someone like Vassal or Kong Wu or um, Patrick Williams-type people with our picks and still keep Beasley. Yeah, well, that yeah, exactly. That's that's the more likely scenario. And if, uh, if Vassal ends up in Minnesota whenever the draft finally does happen, then... You know, you'll know that I'll be a happy man somewhere in, in in Australia. I'll be celebrating. And then when we pick Jay Scrub with our second, and he somehow <laughs> <laughs> takes over all of Vessel's <laughs> minutes, I'll be even happier. <laughs> uh, well, on that note, I think we should bring the podcast to an end. One hundred and ten minutes. Uh, sorry, an hour and ten minutes. It was a really good conversation, as usual. You're, you're always good to talk to, whether it's on Twitter or here. But um, so yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, man. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, it was a fun time. Yeah, definitely, and um, I'll definitely be sure to have you back at some point, hopefully in the near future, and hopefully we get some actual NBA basketball and, in the best case scenario, so a few more Timbles games to analyze. Yeah, that would definitely be nice. Yeah. All right, cool. Thanks, man. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. As usual, you know, rate, subscribe, review, whatever floats your boat. The listens are enough to, to keep me happy. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and I'll see you guys next week.